Well, good morning. Thank you for, I thought we had not paid our light bill. I'm so excited the lights came on. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jordan, and the team for leading us in worship. It's a great day to be in the house of God today. I want to welcome those who are watching us online. Those who are at our other campuses, we're one church in three locations. Hope you'll check one of them out. And those who are watching by TV, we're really thrilled that you would join us today. You know, there are sicknesses and then there are epidemics. So I was interested to read where doctors were really recently asked their opinion, what are or have been the most terrifying illnesses in history? And, and they actually, believe it or not, came up almost unanimously with the top three. Uh, the first one they named what was known as the Black Death, or what you and I would call the plague. It occurred about 700 years ago. Believe it or not, it was caused by one single bacteria that was carried through the air by rats and fleas. It killed 75 million people. 60% of the population of Europe died because of this illness. Now, the second disease was smallpox. Now, what's interesting about that is CBS News says this may be the worst disease ever known to humanity. Between 1880 and 1980, smallpox killed 500 million people. Think about that. A half a million people killed by smallpox. However, the good news is it is the first disease ever to be completely and totally eradicated from planet Earth. But it was a terrible, terrible illness. It killed five European kings in the 18th century alone, and 80% of children under five years of age died from the disease during this time. Smallpox hit home, hit, really hits home with me for this reason. My grandmother, my mom's mom, who I never knew, Back around, this was around 1918, 1919, my grandmother in one week buried a three-year-old girl and a six-year-old son, daughter and son, in the same day. They died from smallpox. She never really truly ever got over it. And then the last disease is one we're all familiar with. It's HIV AIDS. Globally, 75 million people are now infected with this disease. 36 million people have died. Even though now we now have drugs to manage it, there is no cure right now for HIV or for AIDS. Now, I'm not a doctor, but if somebody asked me what the worst sickness is, I would not have listed any of those. As a matter of fact, there's one that comes to my mind that I believe that is worse than all of those sicknesses put together. And the cause of this sickness and the symptoms of it are described in a song that, believe it or not, was written by a king. The king was David. The song was a psalm. And if you want to look on with me at this song and listen to it today, I invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 51. Now, Psalm really is probably as easy a book in the, in the Bible as this. It's really almost right in the very middle of your Bible, or if you have an iPad or a, or, or a, a smartphone, whatever you want to use, we're in Psalm 51. Now, if you're joining us for the first time today, we're in a series that we're calling Playlist. Now, if you know anything about computers or phones or iPads or whatever, I have many, several playlists, you probably do. But a playlist is, is, is a great digital invention where you can actually categorize and catalog different songs and different genres, and you can listen to any playlist that you want to. Well, there's also a playlist of songs in the Bible. They happen to be in the book of Psalms because Psalms are songs. Every time you read a psalm, if you could go back 3,000 years, you wouldn't read the psalm, you would listen to it sung. It was actually put to music. And these are really songs that were put into the Bible out of the very heart of God. Now, let me just tell you about this song. 
You know, some people, and, and I found a lot of country songs like this. I don't know why, but you know, a lot of songs are sad. A lot of songs are about heartache and about heartbreak. This is one of those songs. It is not a really very happy song. And, and, and one of the ways you know that is because above this song, there's a superscription. You may see it in your Bible. There's a superscription, and if you don't see it, let me share it with you. It reads this way. A psalm or a song of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, that tells you this song is not going to be played at the prom. I mean, this is not going to be held at a rocking party, right? Because this, the background of, of this song is one of the saddest, most familiar stories in the Bible. And in case you don't know it or if you've forgotten, let me kind of give you the backdrop of how this song came to be written. It was in the springtime. Uh, the rest of the army was out doing war, doing battle. That's when armies would mainly fight in the spring. But David was playing hooky. For whatever the reason, he was taking a break. He was doing some R&R. He didn't go out and fight with the rest of his army. He was out, he was just was staying back. He was just chilling, having a good time. And evidently, he stayed in bed all day and he woke up in the evening and he decided to take a walk out on the balcony to just kind of see what was going on. And he looked out on this rooftop and there is this absolutely knockout beautiful woman and she's bathing on this rooftop. Now, what David should have done is a 180 and just gone back into the palace and minded his own business. He didn't do a 180, he did a 360. He brings her up to the palace. They have a one-night stand. He gets her pregnant. He brings the husband home trying to get him to sleep with her so he would never know that it was his child and the, and the, and the husband refused. So he has the husband murdered on the battlefield. Then he takes her to be his wife. But what happened was this one-night stand had exploded, as all sin ultimately does, into a chain reaction of coveting and stealing and adultery and murder. And just like that, four out of God's 10 commandments were broken faster than the speed of light. David's gone from being a godly king after God's own heart to a murderer and to an adulterer. But however, David was about to learn the same lesson I learned as a kid, the same lesson you all learn if you live long enough, and that is the devil and temptation never play fair because here's the way it works. The devil will tempt you and he'll say, you can get away with this. Then just as soon as you do it, he'll say, you'll never get away with this. See, he'll, he'll trip you and then blame you for falling. That's exactly the way it works. Well, here's what David does. David decides, I'm not gonna come clean. I'm gonna cover this up. I think I can get away with it. I think I, have, I think I figured this thing out. David thinks he's committed the perfect crime and nobody will ever know the difference. So David lives a year not dealing with his sin, but concealing his sin. And every day of that year, guess what's happening? God is dealing with David. God is prodding David. God is poking David. God is working with David. And David experienced the worst sickness of life because I want to tell you what I think the worst sickness is on planet earth. There is no sickness like sin sickness in the life of a believer. There's no sickness like sin sickness in the life of a believer, of a true follower of Jesus. There is nothing that is so debilitating, so depressing, so disabling, so demoralizing as sin in the life of someone that has a godly, healthy conscience. Because this is what happens. When you give your life to Jesus, God's Holy Spirit enters into you. 
Now, he doesn't make you immune to sin. He makes you more sensitive to sin. You know how so when you go to your, you see your eye doctor and he puts those eye drops in your eye, he dilates your eyes. You know what he'll always tell you when you go to leave? Everybody knows that, right? You have to wear sunglasses because why? Your eyes are not a lot more sensitive to sin. It's not that the sun's any brighter when it was when you walked in than it is when you walked out. It's just that your eyes are more sensitive to that sin. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God does. When he comes into your life, he doesn't fix you where you can't sin anymore, but he makes you so sensitive to that sin and, and, and so aware when you're not doing what you ought to be doing and you're not living the way you ought to live. You know, the mark of a healthy body is one that wants to fight infection and remove infection as soon as it has an infection. That's why you get a fever. A fever is always a sign that your body's got an infection and your body knows the infection does not belong there and your body is doing everything it can to fight off that infection. Likewise, a healthy believer is someone whose spirit wants to get rid of its sin as soon as it experiences sin. Now you may say, but now why do you say sin is the worst sickness of every other sickness? I'm gonna tell you two reasons why. First of all, it is a universal sickness. Everybody's born with this disease. As a matter of fact, listen to what David says in Psalm 51 verse five. David says, surely I was sinful at birth. I was sinful from the time that my mother Conceive me. In other words, David said, when I was born, I was born carrying this sin gene in my body. We were all born that way. We were all born sin sick from birth. There was a Bible teacher. She was trying to teach the, his class of small children about sin and, and, and how we're all sinners. And he said, now, boys and girls, he said, do you understand that we're all born in sin? And everybody raised her hand, but one little girl, her name was Taylor. She didn't raise her hand. He said, Taylor, you don't understand that you were born in sin? And she said, Mr. Smith, I wasn't born in sin. I, I was born in November. Now, Taylor wasn't very swift. <laughs> okay, now, look. Oh, hush. All right, now, look. We're all, if you're under 50, you get it. If you're going, who's Taylor? All right, now, look. We're all born in sin, right? It's universal. But the second reason why it's the worst sickness of all is not only because everybody's got it, it's also because the only cure for it has to come from God. There is no therapy. There is no medication. There is no doctor that can cure this sickness. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're actually gonna be in Psalm 51 for two weeks. So if you've got a good memory, just get ready for next week, okay? Because the, psalm, the song really has two parts, okay? It's got the bad part, the sad part. We're gonna deal with that today. But then it's got the glad part. We're gonna deal with that next week. But what I wanna show you today is this. I wanna show you what sin always does in the life of someone. Listen now. If you have a healthy, godly conscience, now, if you don't, all bets are off. But if you have a healthy, godly conscience, this is what sin always does to the life of someone like that. Number one, David said, sin defiles the soul. That's the first thing that happens. Sin defiles the soul. Now, listen to how David right begins this song. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Now, listen to what he says. This is so sad. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Now, I find it very interesting that the first thing David asked God to do is not forgive him. First thing he asked David, God to do is, would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? 
Would you give me a spiritual shower? Would you cleanse me from the filth of my sin? I'll tell you why that's so amazing. Anytime in the last year had King David walked out of his palace and you'd looked at King David, he would have always looked pristine. He would have looked pure. He would have been wearing these long flowing robes, the best sandals money could buy. He would have had this beautiful crown of gold and jewelry that sparkled so bright you could see it miles away. He was always freshly bathed. He was always clean. He was always perfumed. He looked like a million bucks. But inside, he felt filthy. Inside, he felt dirty. You say, well, why did he feel dirty? Because he was dirty. Well, why did he feel filthy? Because he was filthy. Because sin is dirty and sin is filthy and sin makes us dirty and filthy. And by the way, this is a great test to just, show you, just to show you how close you are to, to God and the reality of your relationship to God. Because let me tell you, if you're really walking with God and you're really close to God and you really have a real relationship with God, sin in the life of someone close to and rightly related to God, doesn't matter whether it's a big sin, little sin, small sin, great sin. You know what that sin will do? It'll make you feel dirty. It will make you feel unclean. You know, one of the biggest differences, this is what a lot of people don't realize, one of the biggest differences between someone who is not a, a part of God's family and someone who is a part of God's family is just how they see sin and how they react to sin. Because here's the difference. If someone doesn't really know God and they don't really have a relationship with God, they will feel the freedom of their sin. But if someone knows God and loves God, they will feel the filth of their sin. And David said, sin affects us emotionally. Now you may feel good while you're sinning, but if you know God, you won't feel good after you sin. By the way, sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Yeah, sin will make you feel good in the moment. But if you're truly a child of God and you truly got a healthy, godly conscience, you won't feel good afterwards. Again, that's why so many people don't get the difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who is not. So let me just make this release for you to understand, okay? If you're not a believer, listen to me carefully. This is really for you. Both someone who loves Jesus and someone who doesn't love Jesus can sin. Both a believer and an unbeliever can sin. Both a follower of God and a non-follower of God can sin. As a matter of fact, they both do sin. I'm a pastor and I will tell you, I don't go a day I don't believe in my life without some kind of a sin. I'm just telling you right now, I don't. Do something I shouldn't do, say something I shouldn't say, or don't do something I should do, or don't say something I should say. Whether it's a sin of commission or sin of omission, listen, I sin every single day. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. When God comes into your life, he does not fix you where you can never sin again. When God comes into your life, he fixes you so you don't want to sin again. And when you do, you won't enjoy it. When you do, you won't get the thrill of it. When you do, it will make you feel dirty. See, David wants to come clean. And I want you to notice how he uses all these phrases to emphasize, please give me a spiritual shower. He says in verse 51, verse one, blot out my transgressions. That word blot out literally means to remove writing from a book. He says, God, would you, write, would you just wipe my record clean? I don't want to be dusted off. I want to be wiped down completely. I want to be clean. He goes on to say, 
wash away all of my iniquity. Now that word wash away means to beat or to pummel. And ladies, it referred to how back in the day, the way women would clean their clothes is, is, is you know, they'd go down to the, to the creek or go down to the lake or go down to the river and they would, they would, they would wash their clothes in, in the river and then they would take a rock and they would literally beat that rock trying to beat all the stains and all the blemishes out of that clothing. And what God is, David's saying to God is, God, I am so filthy, I'm so tired of being dirty. I don't want one speck of my sin left on my soul whatsoever. Then he says, cleanse me from my sin. That word cleanse means to purge. He says, would you just do a sin detox on me? I am sick and tired of being sick and tired of living with my sin. I don't want to see my sin anymore. I don't want to sense my sin anymore. I don't want to smell my sin anymore. Sin defiles the soul. But it goes deeper. If you've got a healthy, godly conscience, you'll find out that sin dominates the mind. It doesn't just defile the soul. It dominates the mind. Sin will not only affect you emotionally, it will affect you mentally. Because now listen to what he says in verse three. I know my transgressions. Now listen to what he's saying. Now watch this. Now remember, he's lived with this for a year. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin, what's that word, is what? Always. My sin is always before me. See, David thought he had let his sin go. But here's the problem. You may think you let your sin go, but if you have a relationship with God and you really know God, sin won't let you go. And you know why sin won't let you go? Because God will not let you go. The act of sin always results in the fact of guilt. I'm going to say that again. The act of sin always results in the fact of guilt. And for a solid year, David's been haunted by the ghost of guilt. Oh, his sin was out of sight. But his sin was never out of mind because God wouldn't let it out of his mind. So listen to this. Think about the last year of David's life. David would go to bed thinking about that sin. He'd get up thinking about that sin. He'd eat breakfast thinking about that sin. He'd take a ride in his horse and his chariot thinking about that sin. He'd eat lunch and think about that sin. He'd keep appointments and think about that sin. He would eat dinner and think about that sin. He'd try to play music on his harp. He would think about that sin. It absolutely dominated his mind. Everywhere that David went, his sin was sure to go. And that is exactly the way sin will affect the life of a believer. You may think you put the sin out the back door of your mind, but it keeps coming in through the front door. You're constantly reminded of it. You'll see it in a picture. You'll hear it in a song. You'll feel it in a conversation. And let me tell you why. Unconfessed, unforgiven sin will never become unforgotten sin if your conscience is healthy and you truly know God. I'm gonna say that again. Unconfessed, unforgiven sin will never become unforgotten sin if your conscience is healthy and you truly know God. See, you may be able to put your sin out of your sight, but God will never let you put it out of your mind. He will not let that happen. I think I've told you this story before, but you know, if you're like me, you don't even remember what you preached last week, so you've probably forgotten it. When I was a little boy, I was in the first grade, my mother was a, a, a hairstylist. And so every Saturday, um, my mom would, I had to work all day Saturday. 
Uh, there was a lady that lived uh, up in Chicopee Village, not too far. If you know where Chicopee is, not far up the road here. We lived in the village there, and Mrs. Gunner would babysit me. So I, I would go, and Mom would drop me off about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would stay till early in the afternoon when Mom got off work. And so uh, every you know, uh, Saturday, I would stay with her. Well, she had a son named Scotty. And Scotty had a cap that I really wanted. I really liked this cap, and I really wanted it. And uh, so one day, I mean, I just, I can't really explain what I did, except I'm just born in sin. One day, I just, as I was packing my clothes and getting ready to, to, to go back to home, um, I packed that cap, and I just kind of put it down in my sack where nobody could see it. And I stole it and took it home with me. Well, I put it under my bed, because I didn't want my mom to find out. And I really thought I got away with it. I kept it one week, and it was the most miserable week I've ever had in my life. I'd go to school, and I'd think about that cat. I'd eat my ketchup sandwich for lunch, and I'd think about that cat. I would come home and run and look under my bed to make sure my mom hadn't caught me because I knew if she did, I'd get the electric chair. So I wanted to make sure, you know, that my mom didn't know about that cap. I'd go out and play, and I'd think about that cap. I'd go to bed at night, and I would live in fear that my mother would find it. So the next Saturday, when I stayed with Miss Gunner again, I, I, I walked in, had that cap down in my, in my sack. I took the cap out. I walked into the kitchen. I'll never forget, I walked into the kitchen, and I gave her the hand. And I said, Miss Gunner, I, I'm sorry. I stole Scotty's cap, and I, I'm so very sorry. You know what's so funny? She not only forgave me, you know what she said to me? I knew you took it. I said, you did? She said, yes. She said, but you know what? I knew God wouldn't let you keep it. She was right. She was right. Now, you know, listen, have you ever heard of a tune that you just couldn't get out of your mind? You ever heard, you ever heard that happen to you? Psychologists have a term for that. They, they call them earworms. That's really what they call them, earworms. 98% of people get them. 90% get them at least one a week. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you, and I hate to do this. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever told about myself, and I'm going to tell you. My grandson, Connor, uh, is almost to be, in fact, he'll be to the end of this month. My grandson, when he comes over, I'll play videos. I'll play it on YouTube. I'll pull up little children's videos. And, and boy, he can really, he sings Jesus loves me better than anything you've ever heard in your life. He's only two years old. But one of his favorite videos, and he always wants to watch it when he comes over, it's a video called Five Little Monkeys. I woke up. Three times this week. No, I'm not making this up. 3.30, 4, and 5 o'clock. Five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell down and broke his head. Mama called the doctor, and the doctor said, no more monkey jumping on the bed. I woke up three times with that stupid song in my mind. Now, that's what sin will do to you. You'll never get it out of your mind. To a healthy believer, sin is a mind worm. Once it gets into your system and into your mind, you can't get it out of your mind and you will not get it out of your mind until you get it before God and you get right with God. Sin defiles the soul, makes you feel dirty. Sin dominates the mind. You'll think about it relentlessly. And then he says this, sin disheartens the heart. It disheartens the heart. Sin not only affects you emotionally, it not only affects you mentally, sin will affect you spiritually. This is what he says in verse eight. Listen to this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Now listen to what David said. You know, when something happens to us that's just completely devastating, we'll say, I was just crushed. On the way to church this morning, I called a, a, a friend of ours. He's been a friend for over 40 years. His wife was in our wedding. He and my wife, Teresa, they went to college together, 60 years old. She, a year ago, started complaining of back trouble. She had pancreatic cancer. It spread to her liver, and she died Thursday. He's a pastor in Washington State, and I didn't know about it till late, so I, I called him on the way in today. I said, Wes, I, 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 I don't even have any words. I, don't even, I have no idea how you feel. I don't want to know how you feel. I can't even imagine life without the love of my life, Teresa. I can't even imagine going through life without her. And I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And, and, and he really is holding up well, but he said, I'm just crushed. That's what David said. He said, my sin just crushed me. Because you see, up until David messed up, he and God were just like that. He was a man after God's own heart. They FaceTimed all the time. They Skyped before bedtime, but no longer. Now when God spoke to David, he didn't hear joy and gladness in God's voice. Now he heard judgment and sadness in God's voice. Because keep in mind, that's one of the symptoms of sin sickness. See, a healthy believer is glad when he's living right, but a healthy believer is sad when he's living wrong because sin is always a drag on the spirit. It is a absolute complete depressant. So let me just put it to you this way. If you are a healthy Christian, you will be an unhappy sinner. If you are a healthy Christian, you will be an unhappy sinner. Just as surely as night follows day in the life of a true believer, sorrow follows sin. Just as surely as bad food brings indigestion, sin brings sadness, and misbehavior brings miseries. Now think about it. For a year, three people had known about this sin. Three people. Bathsheba knew about it. She was the adulteress. Of course, David knew about it. And then Joab, the commander of the army who conspired with David to have the, her, the, the husband murdered, he knew about it. And yet, even though Bathsheba knew about the sin and Joab knew about this sin, David lived with the guilt of his sin every single day. And for a year, David said, you know what? I have been in spiritual solitary confinement. I have been just crushed because that's what sin does. It sinks your soul into depression. It saps the heart of its joy. It sickens your spirit with, with sadness. It sucks the gladness out of your heart and it pumps sadness into your heart. And by the way, that's exactly what sin ought to do if you have a healthy conscience. That's exactly what sin ought to do if you have a relationship with God. So sin, it defiles the soul. Sin dominates the mind. Sin disheartens the heart. But then there's one last thing David said, and if you think about it, you would say, well, of course it has to do that. And it's the worst thing of all. Sin dishonors the Lord. Sin dishonors the Lord. I mean, can I just stop? Just say something to you right now. Forget everything else I've said. Just logic alone ought to tell you something. If we love God the way we ought to love God, and if we know God the way we ought to know God, and if we have the relationship with God that we ought to have with God, logic alone tells you you would want to avoid sin like the plague. 
You would never want to do sin. You would never want to step into the cesspool of sin because of what it does. So listen to what David says down in verse four. Now he's talking to God. He says against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now I find that interesting. Wait a minute, David, time out. You committed adultery against Bathsheba. You murdered Uriah. But now you're confessing directly and primarily to God. You're looking at him saying, you're the one I really sinned against. It wasn't Bathsheba. I did, but not primarily. You're the one that I sinned against. Matter of fact, David uses several words to describe what he's done. He calls it sin. He calls it transgression. He calls it iniquity. He calls it evil. Now let's go back and think about that. One word that he uses, the word sin, it means missing the mark. Sin's missing the mark. Well, wait a minute, time out. So sin's missing the mark. Yeah, it is. Whose mark? It's only one answer. God's. Another word he uses means to abandon the path. Wait a minute. Whose path? God's. Another word means defying authority. Well, wait a minute. Whose authority? God's. But the world doesn't get that. People don't understand that. As a matter, listen, this has blew my mind. Only 17% of people in America understand sin in relation to God. 83% said, oh, anything I do wrong has nothing to do with God. Let me, t- let me make this real easy. When you break a human law, you commit a crime. But when you break God's law, you commit a sin. And murder is a crime against humanity for sure, but it is first a sin against God. Stealing is a crime against your neighbor, but it is first a sin against God. That's why, by the way, there's no such thing as a secret sin. And that's why, by the way, nobody ever gets away with it because listen, if you sin verbally, God hears it. If you sin mentally, God knows it. If you sin physically, God sees it. And here's the problem. David said, I finally understand it now, God. When I did what I did to her, when I did what I did to him, I didn't just break your law. I broke your heart. I brought dishonor and shame to you. I didn't just disgrace myself. I I didn't just disgrace my family. I didn't just disgrace the kingdom. I didn't just disgrace my people. I disgraced you, the one who created me, the one who loves me. And today we can say the one who sent his son to die for us. Now, listen carefully. If you, if breaking God's heart breaks your heart, you have a healthy heart. If breaking your, if God's heart breaks your heart, you have a healthy heart. Now, if your heart is healthy, I don't know if it is or not. If your conscience is healthy, and I don't know whether it is or not. If your relationship with God is real, and I don't know whether it is or not, but if it is, You don't want any barrier ever to come between you and God. And the moment it ever does come between you and God, you want to tear it down as quickly as you possibly can. David, after a year, said, I've had enough. I I want out of solitary confinement. I want to get back to the place, God, where I can hear you and hear you joyfully. Where, Where I can see you and see you gladly. Because when you sin and you stay in that sin, here's what happens. Listen now, when you sin and you stay in that sin or you try to cover up that sin, God goes dark 
and life grows dim. And that's why he said, I've sinned against you. I've broken your heart. And my heart is broken because I've broken your heart. God, I want to hear you the way I used to hear you. I want to see you the way I used to see you. I want to feel you the way I used to feel you. I want to love you the way I used to love you. I want to live for you the way I used to live for you. I read a story about a lady. She was a hypochondriac. You know what a hypochondriac is, right? So something's always wrong. So she went, she had a doctor that she loved, and he was a very kind, godly man, and he loved Mrs. You know, Mrs. Jones. And so every week she came in, it was a new illness every week. She said, something else is wrong. This hurts, that hurts, this is not right, this is not right. And she never had anything wrong with her. He'd check her out, everything would be fine, but she just would swear something was wrong. Well, one week she went in, and, and uh, the doctor says, so, so Miss, Miss Smith, you, you look great. So what seems to be your problem now? And she said, well, I, I'm going deaf. He said, what? She said, I'm going deaf. Every week it's getting harder and harder to hear anything. Now, it didn't dawn on her that she had no problem hearing him. But she's like, you know, I'm getting deaf. And I just, I'm telling him, it's getting worse, and I don't know what to do. He said, well, how bad is it? She said, it is so bad, I can't even hear myself cough. So he said, well, let me examine you. So he examined her, and sure enough, there was nothing wrong with her hearing. And so he says, okay, I think I know what your problem is. And so he left the room, and he came back and had a prescription. He gave it to her, and he said, now, Miss Jones, uh, you, you take one tablespoon three times a day, and uh, you'll need to come see me next week. She said, well, thank you, doctor. She said, now, will this improve my hearing? He said, no, but it'll help you cough louder. <laughs> now, when the dirt of sin clogs up God's communication line, You won't hear him the way you should hear him. And you won't see him the way you should see him. And you won't experience him the way you should experience him. And you won't have that uncluttered, crystal clear communication you ought to have with him until things are right. Why? Because at sin's deepest level, only God can redeem you. And only God can restore you. See, listen carefully. If you sin against me, I can remove my bitterness. I can deal with my bitterness. I can't remove your guilt. If you sin against someone else, they may can take care of their problem with you, but you can't take care of your problem with you. Because your problem's always ultimately going to go back to the one who made you. And that's why this is the worst sickness in the world. Because not only do we all have it, but only God can cure it. Now let me tell you where some of you are right now, and I'm going to wrap this up. For some of you, this was a super hard message to deal with. And I get it. Because you know there's an area of your life and you're out of the will of God. And you're living in that sin. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to. Or you're into pornography. Or some other kind of, a, of addictive disorder. Or 
you're in a prison of bitterness, which you're going to deal with in a couple of weeks, or it's just greed or materialism or pride or lust. I, I don't know what. But some of you kind of struggled. I'm, I'm just being honest. and I, I would expect that. I prayed for you today. You walk in here on a guilt trip and you walk out of here on a guilt trip and every day of your life you live on a guilt trip and you know what? That's exactly where the devil wants you to be. But the reason why God sent Jesus to die for our sins and the reason why God brought him back from the grave was so we could take this exit called forgiveness off of the guilt trip highway anytime we want to. But it's up to you. You've got to make the choice. You've got to decide. Here's the point. Only God can deal with your sin and only God can deal with your guilt, but he always does and he always will when you come to the one who died for both. Let's pray together.